Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. I want to encourage you to take your notes out, and we're in... Uh, miracle series. We've got a couple weeks to go. Has this been helpful to people, our series? We feel like God has really shown up in a powerful way in in our church. I'm really, really excited about this. And uh, we are exploring the miracle stories of Jesus in the New Testament, and we're discovering from them what we can learn about life and faith. Watch this, life and faith, and the intersection of those two ideas with God's power. And we are learning something about the New Testament, that there's literal truth to this idea that when Jesus was uh, sharing these miracles, participating in these miracles, causing these miracles to happen, it was oftentimes at the intersection of life and faith and God's power. And so what we've been doing is we've been exploring all of these, and we've been uh, moving these conversations uh, beyond just Uh, what is taking place in the story, though we're looking at that, we are looking at that, but we're moving it out to the outer edges of just about faith in general and how we can learn and how we can grow. And I appreciate so much uh, your positive uh, responses and feedback about how this is helping so many of you grow in uh, your faith. And we're exploring really the tensions, if you will, uh, between when God shows up in our life and sometimes shows off And then sometimes when it seems like he doesn't show up and we're going right at that tension, we're going to talk about that a little bit more today and we're learning to balance this. We've been saying this. I want to show you a phrase. If you're new here today, you want to write this down. We've been helped by this. We believe that miracles, when we see them anywhere, are the inbreaking of God's coming kingdom. Now we tricked you because you just sang this morning, you just sang just a few moments, your will be done on earth as it is in what? Heaven. So we're praying that, and when we see God's will breaking in, the scholars used to talk about this as the already and the not yet, the coming kingdom. It is God's inbreaking of God's coming kingdom on earth. But then when we see other things happen, these bad things happen, we know that that is an uprising of the dying kingdom of this world. And we live in the tension. We are caught in earth in this space where we experience both of these things. If you're taking notes, you might want to uh, have uh, write this down in a reference. You can look it up later. This is bonus material. It's not even in my sermon. So you're getting this for free. (laughs) That when uh, Jesus used to talk about when he was here in ministry on the earth physically, and he would talk about the earth, he would also oftentimes refer to the prince of the world. And so what he was really pointing to in that very mysterious comment is he he was really saying that there is another kingdom that has moved in temporarily and has usurped the control of the greater kingdom. And we can look and trace this all the way back in religious history. This is why we can go all the way back to the fall And we see we're living in this perfect place, and then all of a sudden there's this fall. There was this decision made outside of the will of God, and God in that moment, if you go back to those original mysterious conversations between God and Adam and Eve, God was saying after the fall, ugh, now we have opened the door to this other kingdom. And so we can see the inbreaking of God's kingdom as a way to kind of remove and strip back 
the battle that is going on. And here's what I want to say to everybody in the room and to those listening online. Sometimes we get caught in the battle. Sometimes we are caught and sometimes things happen. We're trying to bring definition of why is it sometimes that bad things happen to good people? The best definition I can offer is that when we see that, it is the uprising of the dying kingdom of this world that knows its days are limited. Jesus said, there is coming a day when I will do complete and final business with the kingdom of this world. Someone say amen to that. So that's what we're learning uh, in this series and so we're talking about this, and this weekend on both of our campuses, I want, to take, I want us to take a look at a miracle story that welcomes a lot of this important conversation. This is very important for every one of us who have ever had a struggle, a doubt, or a moment of uh, 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 uncertainty in our faith. Am I the only one? Thank you, eight of us. Awesome. <laughs> and I want to read a story. We're going to read just the first 12 verses of a story uh, a healing story that happens in John chapter 9. This is one of my favorites, and in a moment I'll tell you why it's one of my favorites. We're going to pick it up right here. Uh, and this how, is this how John records it. He says this in verse 1. As he, being Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Verse 3 says this, Jesus said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him. For as long as it's day, we must do the work of him who sent me. For night is coming when no one can work. And while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And after saying this, he spit on the ground. He made some mud with a saliva and put it in the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. The word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. And his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And some claimed that it was, and others said, no, it only looks like him. But he insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus put some mud, uh, made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went, I washed, I can see. Where is this man, they asked. I don't know. Let's pray. Lord, uh, would you give to us in the space? Here's what we ask you. Give us greater clarity so that our sight may improve concerning who you are and what you want to do in these next few moments. For we pray in the name of Jesus, might it be so, and everyone said, amen. Let me tell you why this is one of my favorite miracle stories. And when Trevor and I were working on this material, I said there are too many miracles to fit within the context of this series, so maybe we would do a part two. Would you guys maybe like us to do a part two future? Okay. And um, I said, but this one has to be in the first one because we want to set some groundwork for where we want to go. And this miracle invites exactly what we're talking about right now in this series. 
it invites, why is it that um, sometimes we see the inbreaking and other times we see and experience the uprising? Why is that? And one of the things I love about God's word is that God's word never fails to be relevant and never fails to be honest and truthful if we're willing to be courageous enough to look at it. Because you're going to leave this place this morning and there's a lot of uh, uh, other observations that happen within the Christian community. And sometimes, you know, there's this observation or this false truth that everything always turns out right, but then our life doesn't measure up to that experience and we lose faith and we wonder, right? And what I love about this miracle is that it invites actually some very powerful things uh, into the room. And I, I want to share this, uh, the way I was thinking about how to break this down and have you understand maybe what represents some of the greatest truths that we want to unearth around these verses uh, and beyond these verses. Because here's the interesting thing, again, about this miracle story. It, it goes well beyond just the 12 verses. It's the whole chapter of, of chapter 9 in the Gospel of John. It just causes this thing. And as a result of it, then there's a lot of stuff that, that we need to understand. So first of all, I want to say that this is a miracle around vision. And we need to acknowledge that, right? It's a, it's a miracle story, and it, it's a miracle story. And the first thing I want to just talk about is that it's a miracle story about uh, vision. How many of you uh, in the room, just raise your hands, uh, if you uh, have, wear glasses, have glasses, or wear contacts? How many of us? Look around the room. Like, that's all, almost all of us, right? Uh, do you remember, and you don't need to say this or raise your hand, but do you remember the first time you learned you need glasses? Uh, I remember that very clearly. Maybe I've shared this before. I was with my father and my two brothers, and the four of us were going down. Uh, my dad had bought tickets for us to go down to watch the Dolphins lose. <laughs> Just wanting to see if you're with me. And uh, my younger brother, who was sitting uh, in the front seat with my dad, my older brother and I were sitting in the back seat. I'll never forget this. We're driving down the turnpike. We're blowing down the turnpike. And my younger brother had just gotten glad, uh, just, uh, you know, got glasses. And I said, hey, can I try those on? Those look really cool. And so he said, sure. He took them off and, he, and, he, and, and I put them on. And the minute I put them on, I saw trees. <laughs> I like never had seen trees before. It's like all of a sudden, like, wow, trees have leaves on them. It was this amazing thing. And so the rest of the game, I kept saying, can I, you know, try on your glass? Like, can I try it on? And my younger brother was like, get your own pair, man. These are mine. And I, re I just totally remember that. And when, when you think about the miracles of Jesus, here's what I want you to know. When Jesus did physical miracles, there were one of four types of miracles. This is beyond raising someone from the dead. This is beyond uh, demonic activity. There were four kinds of physical healings he did. Maybe you would be able to remember them. He made the lame walk. He made the mute talk. He made the deaf hear, and he made the blind see. And, and I think really, when we think about which ones were harder to do, my money would go on the sight miracles being harder. And I've done a little research in this. I want to read some things to you real quickly. Listen to this. The retina in your eyes conducts close to 10 billion calculations every second. And doctors tell us that this is uh, even before an image travels through the optic nerve to the visual cortex. 10 billion adjustments a second. 
Uh, going on, one doctor put it this way. I'm just going to read this to you. Okay, listen closely. To simulate 10 milliseconds for the complete processing of even a single nerve cell from the retina, this would require about 500 simultaneous nonlinear differential equations 100 times and would take at least several minutes of processing on what is referred to as the Cray supercomputer. Keeping in mind that there are more than 10 million cells interacting with each other in complex ways, it would take a minimum of 100 years of cray time to simulate what takes place in your eyes every second. What? (laughs) Think with me about that. So this is an important thing that is going on. So this is an incredible thing. And here's what I want to draw your attention to it. I want to unearth something. This is more than just the miracle of restoring sight to someone born blind uh, or, or someone who is blind. This is a story about a man who was born blind, which is different. I did a little research real quickly on this to just make sure that we understand real quickly. And so we, this is what we'd understand. This was not a simple miracle about correcting astigmatism or healing of a corneal, uh, corneal scar or removing a cataract. Jesus in this miracle is hardwiring a blind man's brain by creating a synaptic pathway that before he did so did not even exist. I want us to think about this for a moment. I remember years ago, my wife had surgery on her eyes. When we got married, she had really, really bad eyesight, which is probably why we're married. <laughs> Just saying. And, um, and we had, after a while, she had to have surgery, and they, had, they did that, that surgery on both of, you know, where they do the, the lenses, they do their thing or whatever it is they do, and she went in with really horrible eyesight and came out 20-20 vision. It's amazing. And then we started getting the bills for what they did. And we paid all the bills, but we kept getting this other bill. It was crazy. And I kept hobbling back, you know, back and forth with the hospital and all of that. And, 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 and it just never got any better. They kept saying, you haven't paid all of it. And I said, no, I really did pay all of it. And finally, we, right before I think I was about to get arrested, you know, for not like paying the bill, they discovered they were charging us for three eyes. <laughs> I kid you not. I called the doctor and I said, you know what? My daughters and I've always thought my wife had eyes in the back of her head, but they didn't do surgery on that eye. So here's the interesting thing I want to draw your attention to real quickly. Doctors tell us that at at about six months of age, children start developing internal pictures of external realities. Psychologists refer to this ability to create, uh, create and catalog mental images as something they call representational intelligence. And like a slowly developing mental picture, internal images are developed in the dark room of your mind's eye. So in the first six months of a child's life, the first internal image for a baby is usually its mother. Isn't that interesting? Uh, Two years later, or two months later, the father. And then there comes this incredible moment where, watch this, every word that a child, that a baby begins to internalize has a visual picture in their brain of that word. So every every word has a picture. Unless, of course, there was never a picture. This is what makes this profound. 
And it sets up some other things I want to say, but before I go too far, I just want to draw your attention to something, because if you don't know this, you would miss this verse. It's kind of funny. This is why I had us read all the way down to verse 12. So the Pharisees asked this guy, where is this man? And, they, and, he, and he asked him, and he said, I don't know. You know why? He'd never seen him. He had no mental image. Can you, can you imagine the first time you see you see the face of your Messiah. <laughs> wow. So part of what I want to tell you, it's really important. This is a miracle story about vision. In fact, when we go on, it's kind of interesting to consider that Jesus says this incredible thing in verse 5. He says, while I'm in the world... I'm the light of the world. There's a connection. So in other words, he's saying this. If you look at me right, I'm going to bring greater clarity to you about who your heavenly Father is. If you've ever wondered what God the Father is like, just study the life of Jesus. And whatever Jesus represents, Jesus represents to us the image of the Father. It's interesting how he goes on and he says in verse 4, he says, as long as day we must do the works of him who sent me, for night is coming when no man can work. Scholars think what he was saying there is, while I'm here walking among you, everybody, I'm revealing and bringing greater clarity to who my Father is, how you get to him. And then when he references night, what he might be speaking of there is the moment when he's going to be crucified. And it might for a moment become unclear. And now on this side of religious history, this is what we know, right? Jesus left the earth physically, but he left his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit is over his word. This is why I believe the psalmist would say something like this, your word, O Lord. In Psalm 119, 105, is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. If you're here today and you're unclear, and you're unclear who God is, you're going to hear a lot of opinions. Make sure that you're giving enough time to know God in his word. And you'll find him. So here's what I want to say real quickly, right? This is a story, it's a miracle story, it's about vision. But anytime we talk about vision, we have to acknowledge the other side of vision, of course, which is the, what, lack of vision. Whenever we're bringing clarity to something, we have to acknowledge that part of the reason we're bringing clarity to something means that there is potential for a lack of clarity. Isn't that true? And so this is what is interesting around this. And I think it is really important that we understand this. And we, we first understand about the idea of lack of vision around Jesus doing something. And we saw it, we saw it just for a glimpse, for a glimmer in, in verse 2 of the text. His disciples come and they ask him when they see the man more blind, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this man? Was his parents. 
In biblical times, particularly in the region of Mesopotamia, a lot of religious belief got uh, attached, part of what was attached to that belief was a particular kind of theology that that basically uh, acknowledged that um, goodness would result in prosperity and blessing. And any time you saw, any time there was wickedness, you would see infirmity. And we get some cues on this. If we just dig beneath the surface of these 12 verses, we, we can get some cues and some clues to this. The first one, of course, is that. Those who were around during that day believed, first of all, that children could commit sin while they were still in the womb. It's interesting. They got that from the story of Jacob and Esau, that when uh Jacob came out, he was holding on to the heel of of Esau. They believed that there were pre-existing sins. They believed that there were not only that, but there were also um, sins that were generational sins. And so anytime anything bad happened, the assumption was somebody somewhere made a mistake. And, and we see this, and I think sometimes this is a tension we have. Watch this. I want to get personal for a moment. When the miracle we're praying for doesn't happen, or when tragedy and difficulty and loss one day knocks on our door, where are you, God? And we begin to think about these things, and they, 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 they become important. This is what I want us to understand in this moment in this space. What we come to believe matters a lot. We notice, too, here's another cue. It says that um, Jesus invites uh, the man born blind to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. The pool of Siloam was kind of the aqueduct system of early Jerusalem. It's how they captured and retained water. And it was often the place, and you see this in the text, where those who had infirmities because they were outcasts, there was a sense that they had done something wrong, that God had judged them in some way. They, they would all congregate at the pool. And I find it interesting to think about that text that Jesus enters into that environment. We don't know exactly where, but he contacts this person who begs. It says it in the text. Isn't that the guy that used to sit and beg? Watch this. With everyone else who sat and begged, which begs the question, Jesus in his moment of healing healed this one, but not all the others. See, we live in the tension of the already and not yet. We live in the tension of the inbreaking and the uprising. And what we come to believe about the tension between the inbreaking and the uprising has a lot to say about how we will orient our faith in one way or another. And, and, and this miracle story, watch this, everyone, it just welcomes all of that. It, it, it lets us roll in the truths of this text and just get those truths all over us. But we don't have to be afraid. Some of us who are here are walking in that now. 
I, I remember in 2008, I've shared parts of this story. Uh, it was Father's Day weekend. That's when I learned my father was dying. And, and I spent Father's Day 2008 driving my dad's new car home from the Mayo Clinic following a medical transport vehicle that had my father in it and my mother in it, knowing I was taking my father home to die. And for the first three years after that happened, I'll tell you a little sad secret of the lockhouse, I banned Father's Day in my home. It was too painful. And I took my wife aside and I said, uh, we're not doing Father's Day around here. And she began, I said, no, we're not doing it. And we didn't do it the next year. And my loving, courageous wife came to me in year three and said, that's enough. That's enough. You have two daughters. And we honor that your dad, that was difficult and painful and there are questions and all that, but I want to tell you, they have a daddy. And they get to celebrate. We didn't talk for two days after that, but... (laughs) Some writers refer to these seasons of our lives when we go through as... They refer to them as the um, winter seasons of our faith. And we all go through, you know, just like all the seasons, right? You know, spring, summer, fall, there's winter. And winter happens to every one of us and we go through it. I I was reading from someone who says this. He said, um, there are people, he said, in the world who claim to love winter. But if this is true, how come we don't see people retire in Florida and move to Minot, North Dakota? He goes on to say, I love this. He said, God made, some say God made winter, therefore it must be good. But if this is true, there's no mention of winter in the Bible before the fall. And in Genesis, we read about trees bursting with fruit and rivers and flowing with water, and people didn't even need clothes. And wherever the Garden of Eden was, it was clearly not in Milwaukee in January. <laughs> some of us are in winter. But here's what we know about meteorological seasons. None of those seasons are an absence of God's presence any more than another season. I find a great benefit by this verse. I think it's verse 6 that says, He spit on the ground and made some mud with his saliva. Often when I read this, I always think that people are thinking, well, it was okay, it was... Jesus spit. And I want to remind everybody, it was spit. And I don't, mean be, I don't mean to be gross, but I do want to say this. How much spit does it take to make mud? A lot of spit, people. I always think of him being the one who said, you know, Jesus, you've healed in all these other ways. Why do I get the mud? Why do I get the spit? You ever feel that way? But can I tell you a truth about life? And it's a mystery. One day we'll ask God. It's in the dirty places. It's in the broken places. 
It's in the messy places where we often learn about the love of God. Following my daddy's death, I went on a mission trip with our church a couple months after. And on that mission experience, I was forced, watch how I say this, I was forced to come to terms with practicing what I preach about the resurrection of the dead. I would not have done that if I had not lost my dad. And we live in that tension. I didn't want to lose my dad. (laughs) I miss him all the time. But Jesus said, there is coming a day. There's coming a day. So it's about vision. It's about lack of vision. And I don't want to miss my moment to remind everybody it's about 2020 vision too. Primarily what Jesus was doing was coming against the Pharisees who thought he was a cult leader. How dare he heal on the Sabbath? And they didn't think he was who he said he was, so that's why he healed, and then they missed it. And if we move just outside of the verse, the 12 verses that I showed you, there's a powerful verse, verse 25, that says this. They're, they brought the guy into all of this tension, and he just says, you know what, whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I don't know. I don't know. I don't really want to get into your argument, but I can just tell you this. I was blind, but now I see. Some of you, I suspect, feel that way. We sing it, don't we, in the church? Sounds like this. Maybe you sing with me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. But now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Those were the words penned by a man by the name of John Newton, who came under the influence of the teaching and ministry of the Wesleyan movement, John Wesley, which is a part of our church's tradition. And um, John Newton penned those words after serving for years as a slave runner, pocketing from the exploitation of innocent people. And he came under the ministry of John Wesley and those who were following this 
firebrand of Christianity that was leaking out of the Church of England. And he gave his heart and his life to Jesus Christ. And he spent the remainder of his days till his dying breath working to abolish the trade he once was a part of. See, this is what Jesus does when he gives you 2020 vision. He, he gives you a capacity to hold on in the winter season of your faith, which for some of us in the room might be right now. And he just reminds you that, remember, after winter comes spring. And he reminds us that though weeping may endure for a night, there is a coming joy in the morning. And we can have greater clarity to orient around the one who meets us in the mud and helps us see. Don't miss your chance for greater vision. As I close this morning, I'm going to ask us to have a moment of prayer, maybe with our eyes closed and our heads bowed and Oftentimes, we just invite people to put their hands out in front of them just as a way to say, Lord, I'm here, I'm receptive, I'm open. And God, would you take these people who are doing that in this space, my open hands too, and for all who are listening online, that God, you would help us see you more clearly. I pray especially for those of us who are walking in the winter seasons of our faith right now to remind us, oh God, that spring is coming and that we can hold on. But, oh God, might you give us the courage to step out of a lack of vision, to see you who you really are, and to give our lives into the capable hands of the only one who can make sense of what we see and experience. I don't know whether he's a sinner or not, but this one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. This we pray in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake and for Jesus' glory. And everyone said, amen. Go in his peace. We'll see you next weekend.